Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on the 1st of September 2019. I'd like to hope that everybody had a good enough summer. Now we're into fall and last year, in fact, I had snow starting in September. It's one of the shortest summers I've had actually. And uh, because of global warming, I've had more months of snow right up until the end of May, pretty well. June, July, August, and you're back into September for more snow again. So that's the effects of uh, global warming, apparently. And it's all our fault, as I've noticed again today, sitting outside for an hour or so, looking at the sky and watching them spraying and spraying all over the place and turning it all into quite a mush it was. But again, that's just uh, them trying to save us all from ourselves. It's pretty comical in a sense to look back to, for instance, the 90s, the 1990s, when uh, talking about the chemtrails that were coming down at the time, 1998 in Ontario, it really started uh, on a regular basis then. They'd been trying it out beforehand, but they were, they were doing it every day, starting 1998. Very low level too, and across the sky, very evident science fiction type stuff when you walked out the door. And yet, people back then... Had to be had to have it pointed out to them, uh, and again it ties in with the fact that most folk wait for the media to do their thinking for them, and they'll ignore what they see, or hear, or know or they've noticed. If the media doesn't say anything about it, they really expect the media to be appendage to their brain and do the reasoning for them, like Brzezinski said. And it's very sad, but true. It's, it's startling, too, even when you, you test it out on people and you find out that is the fact. They really expect to be warned about things that are harmful to them by authority figures. So if they don't get it, they ignore it. It's rather stunning, really. And so many of the things we talked about back then, such a long time ago, and yet it's a, it's a blur since then because it's been non-stop. Go, 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 go. So many shows, so many shows, so many shows. Giving talks about all, all the kinds of things that were happening and watching them all come to pass, all the things you'd predicted, not because you were psychic in a sense, but because you'd read so much of the documentation of the people at the United Nations, for instance. You, you read the monotonous stuff, and it is monotonous, it's written in bureaucraties. Bureaucraties is meant to make you switch off, but if you can struggle through it, you, you, you'll understand what they're, they're really getting at. And it's for government departments across the world. They immediately take all the big think tanks' projections of, of things to do for coming catastrophes, etc., etc., and they put it into action, generally quietly. And it's never for the reasons that they actually tell you uh, again, you have to go back to the, the early writings of many of the, the people in this big uh, remaking program, remaking of the planet and everything in it and everybody in it, going way back into the true uh, socialistic systems of the 19th century into the 20th century, where they were rather blatant about it. It's very blatant, in fact, about having wanting to create that or create the perfect beings for the planet. And, to, and the old people, according to eugenics, must die off, uh, and like the Darwinian types of obsolescence for old type of humans. Uh, they should have, the, the, the evolved type would have to go on f- into a future. And of course, evolution would eventually be brought about by scientific findings for those who were in charge of it all. And you, you watch it happening, <laughs> and, you, and you, you remember the predictions too, where before Adolf Hitler came along and got the blame for all eugenics, because he just copied it from Britain and the US, the whole idea of eugenics and social hygiene and, and all this kind of stuff, uh, they got it, that's where they got it from, and he actually mentioned it, and everyone's happily forgotten about it, uh, but uh, Julian Huxley kept it going, the whole idea with UNESCO. Uh, by renaming different, uh, creating new terminology for the same old things of too many people, too many of the wrong people, and projections of mass overpopulations of, again, what he would call the wrong people. And today, they're, they're back at it again, back in the open about it, really, and they're trying to say this, all of you, you see. If, if you're not a somebody today, then you're obsolete. And that's what they're really telling you. 
if you're not a somebody, you're just a be or be and obey the, the ever encroaching authoritative commands of the authoritative system, which is less and less appearing democratic. It never truly was democratic, but in their own writings at the Club of Rome, they, they make lots of jokes about it because they never believed in democracy, but they did believe they would have to use the term democracy for a long time to get the people to comply and go along with so many of the things which they've been pushing. So you have a very thin veil, a very thin veil of democracy today, but in reality it's going uh, full, full tilt at the next phase of perhaps even uh, a form. Interestingly, I was reading one of the books from the Club of Rome, and they were going through all the different forms to, to, of usefulness uh, and governance, uh, different types. They can use it for different types in, in, in an agenda, for instance, or a society's evolution. And they went through all the different kinds, of, including tyrannies and, and tyrants and dictators. And it's so interesting to see <laughs> the Club of Rome play the two sides of things, because before, many of the people at the Club of Rome were the ones that got people into wars, world wars even, with their ideas, and then they blame everybody for fighting in the wars, which they often help to start in a sense, but because wars are very useful for change. Carl Quigley said it too, he said if you want quick change, fast change, you can get more done on a social level, meaning changing all of society, views, opinions, and even ways of living. You can do more in five years of war than 50 years of peace. And propaganda. So don't forget these things. War is very useful for changing sides, and they use and changing all sides, I should say, and the opinions of all sides, because all parties involved in a war will, will change. It doesn't. You don't go to. People are, are brainwashed to believe you go to war to to, to retain something, uh, or your culture. That's what they used in World War Two, and as an example, Britain went into World War Two. This entity or corporation called Britain or the UK into World War II, uh, using propaganda, they all use propaganda, uh, of saving their culture against a tyrant and saving democracy, etc. Uh, so they went to fight National Socialism. And at the end of World War II, they emerged as, as a National Socialistic country. Uh, really interesting. And of course, with so many different laws on the books, etc., to change their culture drastically, in fact, till you see what it is today. It's constantly changing. You can't even say it's a fixed culture at all anymore. There's hardly a remnant of the old system there. You've got to understand what gives you culture and what keeps you together as a society, rightly or wrongly. Uh, and, but you, you always have a strong uh, common, commonality of culture with common beliefs and uh, common rights and wrongs, you understand it all perfectly well. And you need very little police when you have a, a culture and a society like that, because the people self-police, the culture self-police themselves, and things which are wrong are generally very evidently wrong, and so you can, you can keep it all in check. So if you want to destroy culture, you must knock down all the things that, that made it strong. And you can do it by pretending to help people. That's the greatest tactic of all. For instance, the UK uh, never, I mean, the, the people in the UK never had it good <laughs> for an awful long time, for centuries really, uh, since the big central banking system took over and they could tax people's income and all the different goods and services and so on that, that, that happened inside a country were taxed to pay off what you, you could then call national debt. So governments could then borrow from a central bank for, to, for their wars, to pay for the wars, so the corporations could get all the profit abroad, you see, by, by taking resources of countries. But they wanted the public back home to pay for all. That's really what it was all for. And as blunt as that, and it's, it's, it's as truthful as that. The people pay for the armies, they, they supply the military, the people for the, for the uniforms, and they, they go off and fight these wars, and then they pay for all. And the countries that, they, that were taken over under the British Empire, you paid for... The railroads get put across India and different countries too, so that the resources could get moved out of the country for the big corporations that have been there since the, since the East India Corporation at least. Uh, so uh, central banking was awfully, awfully handy, and then you put it down to debt, a national debt, 
and then the people had to pay it all off in taxes one way or another. And after World War I, that decimated Britain, they never had peace, remember, for centuries, war after war after war, right into a Great Depression after World War I, uh, rationing World War I, Depression, and they never really had a return to full employment after that because other countries, including Germany, were vastly outstripping Britain in manufacturing. And they were awfully, awfully good at it in Germany. The people who ran Britain were so stingy, they wanted things maximum profit, and which means you, you, it's very simple. You either get the cheapest labor, they don't put their heart into things, and you, you won't really care so much when you get really cheap labor about what you're doing, or else you reduce the materials and the products that you're making, so they're not as good. But Germany put a lot of more money into, into less profit, so they, they were outstripping Britain. So Britain really went into a, a tremendous depression. And yet, during that whole time, up until World War II that lasted, that, that, that depression, and then after World War II, they had massive uh, social programs. They even have documentaries, or they used to have up on YouTube years ago, on the propaganda they used for the British folk at the end of World War II. Uh, with a, it was done in a park, and there's a guy sitting on a bench, and the, the, the park keeper comes along and starts pointing out how much percentage is for, of his, his pound note for his pay has to go to this, and so much for that, and so much for that, all for the British debt. So the people still had democracy, remember. They, they fought, and they were told to go off and fight for their way of life. And people will fight for anything which they know. What you know is your way of life. Uh, even if you're living in poverty, you'll generally go off to fight it because the, the, what you're taught is that the people who might conquer you are going to be ten times worse than people who already own you. That's the way it really truly is. And so they'll fight for it, and, but they will fight for each other, you see, because they are the real culture. The people themselves are the real culture. And so they'll fight to try and retain that. Afterward, the wars, it was all destroyed. Uh, they were left, uh, a lot of them, destitutes. They were rationing it right through into mid-50s, 1950s. Their health was very poor compared to other countries. And the employment that they had uh, really was almost subsistence wages for a long time. So you get used and abused uh, for empires and so on. And don't forget, during that whole time, there was a group in London, uh, the Royal Institute for International Affairs, which emerged from the, the British Empire leaders, like Lord Alfred Milner, uh, who were quite blatant about the, 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 the Britain, this entity. They had a different idea of the corporation of Britain, which they ruled over, and the empire as well, the British Empire, than people who lived in them, the people, the ordinary folk, a completely different notion of what it was. And they wanted a system that would rule the world with the same kind of British parliamentary system, which is a good front system, really, but subservient to the Queen or, or the King. Depends who's in power. When you read the books put out by the leaders or the owners, you might say, of this system that existed in uh, the British Empire at that time, you'll, you'll find they're, they're very explicit in their ideas about the public. The public were a different species almost to them in every country. It was really so marked. Uh, which is, is, is really upsetting to a lot of people. They want to believe the old BBC dramas that they kept putting on, that somehow uh, an elite would have some kind of affinity and even some kind of emotional affinity with the public that they ruled over. Uh, and really, it wasn't like that at all for most of them. They were distinctly removed from, from the peasantry. They wrote for themselves uh, their own classes, and above that, too, they wrote for the selected ones from the upper classes who worked in the societies like with that one that became the, the Royal Institute for International Affairs in the U.S. of the CFR. And they have a branch, too, for the Pacific Rim region, too, with players in Australia and New Zealand and China and Japan, by the way. So they, they were saying about the future world empire. Uh, but what gets you, what strikes me when I look into the old, the old uh, volumes of, of, very, <laughs> of rapidly disappearing material, 
uh, written for their own people, uh, almost inter intergroup publications, is the similarities of today with so many think tanks working for them on all aspects of the economies, uh, transport, the, the psychologies of the peoples, the classes of the peoples, the genders, all these things, and study upon study, well over a hundred years old, <laughs> up to the present time, the data accumulated uh, by this, this is, has been used by them to incredible extent for change, of course, planned change across the whole planet. Uh, and you can see why uh, they couldn't disclose this stuff to the public, the general public, because they need you to go along with it in all phases of their great plan, the great, the, the grand plan, you might call it. Uh, otherwise, you wouldn't go along with it. If you all knew, if your parents knew that your society was be, just to be utterly destroyed by a Gramsci-type scenario, uh, the communist who who says, instead of just fighting people physically and so on, he says, just come in and gradually take over the, the, the functions of culture step by step and education step by step and so on and, and media. And you can convince the public as they're growing up that, that, and before you know it, in a generation or so, you've, you've, you've completely altered what they were by design, by plan. And so a socialistic, almost communistic type system or way of using techniques was implemented on the public without them even being aware of that's what was happening. They were trained to believe they were fighting communism. But in reality, it was being taught in universities in the Western world, taught openly. And they were recruiting openly too for big changes ahead. The public can't quite get, and most folk today can't get their head around that. Why would your country be fighting communism and yet promoting and even funding it, it, its tuition? It's because down the road, you always, through the Hegelian process, you, you have a synthesis. Remember, you need two sides for change. One side changing you all the time is a tyranny, you see. And if you have two sides, then you think you're fighting a tyranny, and, and then if you guide the... A synthesis, basically. You get thesis, antithesis, and synthesis. So synthesis is the outcome of the two. So if you guide that along the way, and you guide the arguments, you'll get society to always move in the direction that you want. And you can convince them of pretty well anything by using the right techniques of how to live, how to behave, what's okay, what's acceptable, what's not acceptable, and keep changing normals all the time until you've got new normals across the board. You can also train them through incredible indoctrination. It's so slickly done that people don't know they've even been indoctrinated through, through entertainment. Until, in a Pavlovian sense, they'll have incredible reactions. If you mention certain even words to them, they'll blush and go into almost, you know, um, panic if they hear certain terms used and things like that. So it's quite easy to indoctrinate children, like Bertrand Russell said, give me children young enough, and he said, I could convince them that snow is actually black. Just change the terminology. And if you change terminology, that was, that was a communistic t system of using terminology. The Weather Underground uh, were using it to create the terminology, force the public to use the terms, and, and then when the public try to use the terms, you're accusing them of something, and the public try to use them, it's quite easy for you to, to disable them by calling them something else or a name or whatever it happens to be. It silences them totally. And we're seeing that all the day as though it's quite natural. And, and it's working, of course, as it's meant to work. So, as I say, the techniques of this go way back, back into the 19, 19th century, really. And, and improved and improved and improved with mass communication and mass study on the public. And since the internet came out, there's never been a time of rapid, rapid learning on behalf of those who observers, monitors, analyzers, etc., with the use of computers. And they, they don't have to even use as much time on the public they, they, with algorithms that they're rather perfect today. They can, they can actually suss out different people's communications and categorize, categorize you all in real time very quickly, boom, 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 any pigeonholes. And that's what governments are all using across the board. And it wouldn't get better. 
it won't get better at all because they're using algorithms now and, and lots of scientific papers that work eventually computers, the computerized system and artificial intelligence will be running your lives and making the decisions not just on your behalf but for you, whether you like it or not in a very authoritative fashion. And it'll be harder, you see, if you've been targeted for, for because of your social credit system being not up to par or you've got opinions that, that a tyrannical government doesn't like, then you're going to have a hard time of it. You, you, you'll have no humans to contact to complain about something. They'll, they'll just say, well, it's all done by computer. It's out of our hands. It's, it's perfect, isn't it? Who are you going to complain to? It's quite, quite amazing to me. Because if you can't have opinions, it doesn't, and you don't have to be violent with your opinions, you just have to have opinions. You don't have a free society. In a free society, you've got all kinds of opinions. People will get upset, and you'll get upset yourself at times. But uh, that's what freedom is. If you're forced into a singular uh, technique under the guise of keeping the peace or whatever it happens to be, you're in a Soviet-type system because they were imprisoning people under psychiatric terms for years. There's books out on it. They called it, you were inflexible. Yet you, you were socially inflexible in your opinions. And that was a mental illness, you see. And you couldn't complain about the system of communism because it was obviously the, the most perfect utopia in the world, as it was taught to everybody, you see. You must be mad if you didn't like it. We're seeing the same techniques used across the world now. And and China is using it to a really good effect with their social credit system. Uh, There's some good publications out on it now in in good detail on how it's used uh, on the people. And really, a few literally uh, have broken one of the taboos there. They're not crimes, they're taboos, but but because they're taboos, like like a a thought of something or not quite up there, or or worshipping the party's um, stance on whatever it happens to be, You'll get blacklisted, and you you can't even travel in. You can't you're, you're, you can't even go through doors in a library or, or in all there is banned from them all automatically. And that's coming, of course, to the West too. For those who haven't picked up on it, it's so interesting, as, I, as I've said before, of the warnings we had back in the eighties and the nineties of what was to come when people could put out good scientific projections from from good sources on the dangers of all of this, this coming computerization and, and data collection and so on. Most folk, again, because they're nice people, would say, oh, that, you know, we understand that could be done, but, but they, you know, they, it's almost the they word, meaning authorities, they, they would never do the nasty things to us. But well, why wouldn't they <laughs> do that? Power. You have to, again, just like the Royal Institute for International Affairs who saw the people under them, vastly different from from the, the people who live with inside a population. We, we really have an affinity with each other. They had no affinity, that class. They really didn't have any affinity with anything below them. And they thought that was a natural order. They really believed it. It's the same thing with those in charge of technology today. They truly believe they're like gods because they're up there and they have the money and the power and the, the ownership of big corporations over systems which they've made essential in today's society. They've made it essential. Governments now demand you pay taxes with, on computers now and so on, rather than, than just send them checks. And You're being forced into a system to use this system. So if you start to get banned from that system or punished uh, from the system, yeah, yeah. Well, you're going to be in dire straits, even to, to get money or, or to get bills paid or wherever it happens to be. That's part of the social credit system. The very system that, that again, Lord Bertrand Russell talked about in the 40s and 50s, when he said eventually a system would come in where the central authority, which would be presumed could be from a governmental authority, doesn't have to be government. If you, if you notice, most government today is farmed out to agencies. And if they put out a credit system, like a moneyed system, a credit system for everyone in the future, getting away from the so-called free enterprise system, which is never free and it's only enterprising for a few. In reality, if they put out a rationing system down the road, which they want to do, by the way, after the next crash, and it's not surmising in my part, it's from publications from many of the big think tanks on this, 
they want to do this. It's always been their goal. Russell said, it'll arrive into your bank accounts one day and you can't save them up. So you have to use these credits, it'll be the same every, every month. And if you've been bad, and I mean bad by being antisocial, meaning you haven't conformed to whatever opinion or whatever it happens to be that for that week or month, then they'll ban you from, from, from using it or withdrawing from it. And at the end of the month, by the way, even if you, you are supposedly good in quotation marks, you, you can't save any of it up. You've got to use it on the month or it's with, it starts in the same amount of money or credits every month. When you read the books by Bertrand Russell, remembering that he belonged to a lot of um, global think tanks in his day, which implemented policies for the future, talking about a universal credit system issued by the government. And then you, you see the implementation of testing systems across the world now of universal basic income models by the government. You realize that the present was planned about 70 years ago, in many different areas, not just in that one. This is all old planning that you're you're seeing come into play now as we wait for the next big crash. Crashes are planned and they're consented to by those in charge of all. Money's by, by nothing. If they wanted to go on for another hundred years this way, they would just they would just um, make well in a hundred years you'd be earning a few million dollars a year each. But you'd be living in a system where it'll be quite a few thousand dollars for a cup of coffee, etc. As they inflate the currency, make it worth less and less and less. But we've already lost over forty percent of the value of the dollar purchasing power since two thousand and seven and eight, when the last crash came. That was what they called an adjustment. So now you need almost, you know, a dollar and a half to get the same amount of money, basically. And the same amount of, of, of purchasing power and buying things, the same items. And it's quite evident to everybody, you, you, you almost need two dollars now for every one that you used to have, especially in foods and areas like that. And that was agreed upon. And I even read the articles on the air at the time back then, uh, from the newspapers that were, when they used to have journalists that, that were assigned to parliaments and that, that published the stuff they were talking about. But they said that, that that was the, the plan, they'd inflate the currency. They gave the okay, in fact, almost an order to all energy. Now, food is an energy for, for folks, don't forget it. And electricity and all kinds of heating, all they got up in price, because that's the big global agenda to start restricting our use of energy, because the whole point of the global warming nonsense and so on, all this stuff, is right in your face today from the big think tanks, rather openly, there's too many of you, you're the problem, and global warming, climate change, and sustainability is is what they used under pretense of taking control of everything and society and your life and even marriage or, or offspring or having offspring or the right to have offspring, all into the hands of authorities. They're quite blatant about it. I'm not making this up. This is not conspiracy stuff. I don't talk about conspiracy stuff. I use the facts that come out from from the newspapers and from the think tanks and their magazines and their own publications from universities, etc., etc., etc. There's nothing to guess here. People who want to believe that you're being taken care of in, in this almost... Uh, Maternalistic system somehow uh, you Forget it It's not paternalistic or, or, or maternalistic it, It's authoritative now And it's, be, it's ready to go for, With the next crash It's ready to go And show you that you can't go on like this uh, They keep telling you That uh, again the, the, In this last week all the, the, all the publications are going The same stories about overpopulation and statistics on the population expected growth from different countries. Africa, they say, is going to be terrible, terrible, et cetera, et cetera. Meanwhile, they still say, like I've said every year for the last 20, 30 years, the population in the West is declining. So we're being good and having less children. But because of it, they say you've got to bring more people in to, to take care of the elderly. <laughs> this is the excuse they give you, eh? as the whole world is being turned upside down and moved around and, and so on. But again, they want you to eat insects now. Again, they revived that whole thing. 
and get you off high protein diets under the guise that you, you, we just can't go on with the farming the way it is. The farming folks has been cut back for many, many, many years with licensing and taxations and, and different uh, restrictions have been put in place. I've got articles here and government declarations from the 40s and 50s on the need to eventually reduce and restrict farming. So don't believe what they're telling you at all. The, the whole problem is you, they claim. And you either have the right stuff in you or the wrong stuff. Just going back to a great, a great hero of the physicists and the, and, the, and the scientific societies, a descendant of Darwin, of course, and it was the next million years by Charles Galton Darwin, the physicist who, who worked on the, a, a good helper of society. He worked with, on the Manhattan Project with other folk. They helped to murder lots of people. That's what they do, these people that we look up to, it seems to be. And he, he, he talks about the future. Remember, this is the 1950s. He was pushing all this stuff. And eugenics in a time, as I say, where folk were reeling from the whole philosophy of National Socialism of Germany at the time, which Hitler had copied from the Cold Spring Harbor project in the States, Rockefeller, and the ones in Britain, the Darwin, Darwin Institute and so on. He copied all that stuff, you see, from them. But again, again we're awfully good at, 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 at deciding who are, 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 are the people we're going to hate are going to be, you know. And when it happens again, it's, it's done under a good guise. It's to, it's to save us all. We have to reduce us to save us, you see. But, well, well, who's, well, you're already going sterile in the West for some strange reason. They don't really know, eh? They don't really, there's, no, there's no crisis over it, like why it's happening, eh? <laughs> <laughs> well, because you know why it's happening. Anyway, the next million years, in page 76, Charles Galton Darwin, the descendant of Charles Darwin and eugenics and, and so on, he said, uh, it would surely be as wrong as the speculations of a natural philosopher of two centuries ago would have been about our present conditions. It may be noticed, however, that the biological sciences, which in the 19th century rather lagged behind the physical, are beginning to show promise of quite astonishing new advances. The proper consideration of these biological advances must, for the most part, be deferred to later chapters, but I may list some of them here without discussion. There is first the possibility of new sources of food. For example, if grass or wood could be rendered edible, it is safe to say that there would be immediately a great increase in the population of the world. What he's saying is if you have good food, folks, this doesn't matter what it's made of, it's going to increase the population, which is the enemy of those who rule the world. <laughs> but he says, then there is the probability that medical science will continue still further uh, the great triumphs it can already claim in the conquest of disease. It says it is also not impossible that medical science might succeed in materially lengthening life without senility, though in a world of overcrowded population, it's not very clear what would be gained. Now, I'll just stop here and say this. That's been all the, in all the magazines and science and so on for quite a while now. Even this last week, they've got chips they can put in. They claim they can reconnect a lot of the, the pathways and the, and the systems in the brain. Uh, and actually, just like I think the movie Johnny, was it Mnemonic? They talk about giving you basically a, a capacity for learning through microchips in the brain itself, like a hard drive, where they can store the data. It's just astonishing how they program you through all the sci-fis until you think that's oh, quite normal when it comes along, really. Hmm. Well, remember all the other stuff they showed you in sci-fis, and you, you better pray that it doesn't happen. All the other nasty stuff. Anyway, it says here, looking a little deeper, there is a possibility of substantially altering the intellectual and moral natures of individuals, right? Intellectual and moral natures of individuals by some sort of hormonal injections. Already great effects have been produced on animals. Now that, that ties in with Bertrand Russell's by means of diet injections and injunctions, they could control the populations. Anyway, back to, to Charles Galton Darwin. Finally, as the most curious speculation of all, it's not quite impossible that it may be one day feasible to select in advance the sex of each child that is to be born. Well, that's all been done since then where the decision is made by the parents or by their rulers. 
This suggests the possibility of a great unbalance in the populations of the world. Before discussing these matters, it is necessary to look deeper into man's nature, and this will be the subject of the next three chapters. Uh, for those who haven't read his book, it's, like, it's an easy enough read, actually, the next million years. He's on to say it's quite non-moral and that there are many equalities and we by no means admire, which nevertheless are often regrettably effective in the struggle for life. All through the animal kingdom, one of the most successful roles is that of the parasite. And there are states of human society where such a parasite as a professional beggar is as successful as anyone else. Something of the kind is unfortunately true in Britain just now, in the 1950s. Eh? The people we are really encouraging are not those uh, that we think we are. In other words, they don't want them to breed to people who he saw as useless. Now, all this stuff is, he, he's just put in a book what their think tanks have been collecting for them with studies, studies, studies. And you spend your whole life just, just studying one area of all of this, for instance. It says, next million years, in page 93, it says, uh, for a great many of the people who get good promotion are contributing less than their share to the next generation. At present, the most efficient way for a man to survive in Britain is to be almost half-witted, completely irresponsible, and spending a lot of time in prison, whereas health is far better looked after than outside. On coming out with the restored health, he is ready to, to beget many further children quite promiscuously. And these problem children are then beautifully cared for by the various charitable societies and agencies until such times as they have grown old enough to carry on the good work for themselves, meaning, meaning crime and so on. It is this parasitic type that is at present the most favored in our country. If nothing is done, a point will come where the parasite will kill its host by exhaustion and then, of course, itself perish miserably and contemptibly through having no one to support it. Now, all this kind of technique is discussed by the communistic systems, and Gramsci too, of taking down nations. Again, get back to dialectic. And believe you me, Charles Galton Darwin was perfectly aware of the dialectic and that, that the group he belonged to often ran both sides of things. Huh? You create the problem, then they use their own press, they point at the problem, right? Create it first, point to it, get everybody feeling bad and guilty, for existing, because they're, and yet they're using the worst types to, as examples, but everybody will then feel guilty. Well, how much am I contributing to society? You know, do my little pathetic job, etc., etc. This is how it's done, folks. For those who don't catch on to it, the rulers, and he came from a line of rulers that boasted about the fact that they were a scientifically bred family for for science itself, on behalf of the dominant minority that ruled. And Julian Huxley, was, was, who was also related to them all, the same group, talked about that. So he was perfectly aware, uh, Darwin was, I mean, Charles Gallon Darwin, of their, their particular management of all different kinds of sides here. And he, again, he's saying the same things as Lord Bertrand Russell, the, the great Lord Bertrand Russell, who kept using the same kind of examples, but then pointing to the rest of society as just useful Useful, not, not, even the ones who are working on lowly jobs as it, it, uh, almost uh, obsolete types altogether. You'll find the same thing in George Bernard Shaw in Man and Superman in his, in his writings about the socialist system that he, he was all part of, where they would, just like the communists did, slaughter millions of what they would call useless eaters. And he said that you'd have to be a, a, adaptable for a new scientific age and a man would have to be able to, to, to literally fix and understand vehicles like motor cars and stuff like that and other things too and adapt and adapt. Those who couldn't adapt were extinct, should be extinct because that's a Darwinian principle of evolution, they claim, and eugenics. So we're living through it, folks. Now, the people who, who, who write this stuff and, and work and, and meet in the big global meetings about it, they're not... They're not having a hobby club when they get together and discuss these things. They're dead serious, and they, they, they draft up uh, different documentations. They've got whole bureaucracies that draft things up for them. 
here at the WEF and all the other forums that they have and meetings that they have, and they have them implemented. They're not hobby clubs. I hope you understand that. When you read this stuff, stop saying, oh, they'll never do it. They always do what they say they're going to do. They always do. And if they have to find ways of terrifying you to comply, like sustainability or global warming, and it's all your fault, then they'll do it and they use it. And they have no problem with that. The Club of Rome said that, that that would fit the bill for this particular agenda. The same Club of Rome that doesn't believe in democracy, they believe, and one of the last books I read from them, in the right to even use dictators in the coming struggles and chaos that, that, that's planned, basically. I hope you know, this is not scare money. This is the stuff they're pub- that they've been publishing. Read, read them. It's just fascinating. And no one's criticizing them, you'll notice for coming out with all these incredible, to your mind, projections of things that must be done. And don't forget, even Gorbachev, that was a member on, on the Club of Rome's body, I think he still is, he was the president of the Soviet Union at one time, the head of it. Back to Charles Galton Darwin, I wasn't going to even touch him tonight, but since I just hit on it, different classes of people into parasitical classes. Well, what happens when you become disabled? Through work too, you know, parasites, as far as you're concerned. Member of the United Nations said as well that uh, a good citizen, as they defined it, was someone who's a good producer and consumer, but not just one or the other. You have to be both. What happens when you're retired? Well, you're now a problem, you're a burden. It's like your bank balance, folks. If you put money into savings deposits in a bank, the bank lists you uh, your, your deposit as a liability. Not an asset, it's a liability. If ever a crash comes, you're a liability. You're going to lose it all anyway, and they'll, they'll claim it from you. But regardless, it goes on and on and on, uh, each topic, of course, and you so many different branches. But tonight I just wanted to just mention the fact that years and years ago, like 20-odd years and back in the, even longer than that, and uh, to the early 90s, the different topics that we're discussing were getting laughed at by the public who won't believe anything until an authority figure tells them. And they've been trained who the authority figures are. In every country, they have mainstream ones, main ones for the, for the news. They may be grown up with, and out they come, and they just read what's been scripted for them, but you'll believe it, and you'll part it, and, and you'll do what you're told. But if anyone else tells you years and years in advance and shows you all the proof, most folks simply just turn away. They don't believe it. Even if it's from the sources themselves or from the government, they don't want to read it, they won't read it. So you, you can't go out and expect everyone to understand or care for that matter. That's the true nature of humanity. They know it precisely it's, a, it's only a small minority who ever are, are, have that spark in them to inquire and to find out and dig into what's going on. The rest of the public are under a form of, of hypnosis most of the time between fact and fiction, especially today. They're so overloaded with fiction, blended with the things that are happening, so it's all mushed together, that whatever happens, it's all predictive programming for the next step to them, and they accept it even more easily. It says here, the next million years uh, prevail, and at page 114, Charles Galton Darwin, over the operations of pure chance, thus a creed may have the rudiment of the quality possessed by the genes of mankind of being able to produce a permanent effect on humanity. If the history of the future is not regarded as the automatic unfolding of a sequence of uncontrollable events, and few of us would accept this inevitability, then anyone who has decided what measures are desirable for the permanent betterment of his fellows will naturally have to consider what is the best method of carrying his policy through. Now think about what you're saying there, of who's deciding what's better for you, eh? It says, and we'll naturally have to consider what is the best mode of carrying his policy through. There are three levels at which he might work. The first and weakest is by direct conscious political action. His policy is likely to, to die with him and so to be ineffective. The second is by the creation of a creed, since this has the prospect of lasting for quite a number of generations. By creed, it's almost like a religion in a sense you can create. Now, sustainability and biodiversity, all this kind of thing, that's a creed. It was designed to be a creed and promoted as a religion. Gorbachev himself said that. He said, we have to create a form of world religion based on the environment and greening and so on, he said. He said, 
a form of earth worship. Well, look at all the well-funded and trained NGO leaders uh, with all their followers out there who've all been brainwashed at school for their purpose. They don't know that. They think they've come to conclusions by themselves, by the particular selected videos and so on. They've been shown through classrooms year after year and so on. Armies of them have been created. So again, back to this article from the 1950s from a book written by Charles Gordon Darwin. It says, his policies, it says the first and weakest is to buy direct conscious political action. His policy is likely to die with them, and so to be ineffective. The second is by the creation of a creed, since this has the prospect of lasting for quite a number of generations, so that there is some prospect of really changing the world. So he's ruled out politics because it's, it's too changeable, you see. He's telling you it's an, a, a creed is above the political system, and that's what you're seeing now. You don't vote for all these NGOs out there, do you? So a creed could last for quite a, a few generations. So this guy's religion, and here's your here's the tenets of religion. You're all banned. There's too many of you. Blah blah. We have to uh, save the environment to save the what's left of us. Yada yada yada. Yad. And sterilize us. Or it's, it's the, all the wrong folk too. It says so that there is some prospect of really changing the world a little with the creed. The third would be directly changing man's nature working through the laws of biological hereditary. And if this could be done for long enough, it would be really effective. But even if we knew all about man's genes, which we certainly do not, that was back then, a policy of this kind would be almost impossible to enforce, even for a short time. And since it would uh, take many generations to carry it through, it would almost certainly be dropped long before any perceptible effects were achieved. That is why creeds are so tremendously important for the future. A creed gives the best practical hope that a policy will endure well beyond the life of its author. And so it gives the best practical hope that man can have for really controlling his future fate. Now, you, you could add into that. They have certainly done an awful lot with the genes now. There's another article in the paper, again, uh, from the Journal for American Medical Association, with a study done in Canada, I think it was. I'll put them up to the links from where you can read for yourselves the studies from uh, about uh, fluoride. Again, talking about this years and years ago, if it would laugh at you. And yes, it does bring drop the IQ and, and cause many, many problems, especially, by the way, in the mail. Now, just to end, because the time is running out already, it's rather sad in a sense, but I only picked this, this, this to talk about the last minute. I was just going to touch on it. But it's, it's too interesting, Charles Galton Darwin is, is rather blatant about the agenda. And he got away with it, cause, and he was praised for it too by all the elite of the day. If you get the original book with the, with the cover on the, on, the, on the hardback, it's got all the, the praises from all the top people in the country at the time, and in the world. Uh, by top, I mean powerful and, and wealthy, etc., etc., and those who had the right to implement all these different agendas. Well, in the 1950s, remember, this was written. I think what followed it, now he, was on, he was on one person in, a, in massive think tanks, huge think tanks, that even met during World War II to decide on how to depopulate or reduce the population of the world after the war ended. So in the 1950s, out comes this book, and which is like, uh, I'm sure many of the people contributed to it who were on the different uh, think tanks and so on with him. And... Come the late 50s, you had the change in the morality rather quickly with the types of music and movies that flooded out into the 60s. Uh, suddenly you had the promotion of, of uh, sex like never before. And from that, you, you had the National Health Services immediately taking care of unwanted pregnancies. So sex without limits, really. Uh, to do, it. and they actually printed books on it of of the need to, to destroy the bonding process of man and woman, so that sex would would be simply to, to for gratification and release of the sexual urges, and uh, without bonding, bonding was to be destroyed. Well, look at what happened in the West, and until hardly anybody can get on with anybody else for, for any length of time anyway. Now, very effective warfare strategy, and. Uh, and the populations have plummeted in the Western countries. Interesting, isn't it? Uh, that, that the people like Galton Darwin and so on literally would target their own nation and their own nations first. Uh, there's a big, big story behind all of that, naturally. 
But so they tested it all out in their domestic populations before they'd apply it to the world. In fact, they haven't applied it to the whole world yet, really, not all of it. That's interesting itself too. They're still, they're still using the population growth in Africa as, as a big fear thing for the West. Oh my good, that the whole world's too many folk in the world. Wait a minute here. If you're doing your best in your own backyard, why should you suffer for what's happening elsewhere? See, you, you've got a collective responsibility. That's what they're training you for. It doesn't matter what you do that's good. It's not enough. It'll never be enough. And they, they want your obedience across the world in, in the same global a program, that's what it's about. Now, Charles Galton Darwin also, let's get off this for a minute or finish up with him, and he, he mentions the fact that those who guide the world have to retain all of their faculties and intellects. They must do, they must be wild men because they're planning it all, implementing it all, and running the planet like the captain of a ship. That's how he, the analogy uses. But he tells you that they'd have to dumb down and sterilize the general population who wouldn't have the intellect uh, after certain techniques were used on them and wouldn't have the IQ. That's all happened, people. These are top, this is a top scientist here talking who's lauded across the world. He didn't do this because it's his hobby. He didn't write the book because it's a, it's a kind of uh, an eccentric hobby that he's got or something. I hope you understand that. Most folk never get past that. Oh, he must be just a, his, his particular opinions. No, it's not just his opinions. You're talking about one of the rulers here who, who mix with all the biochemists and all the rest of them who are hard at work too with Burton Russell and many others throughout the present time. They helped to design the culture that would help destroy society that the people had just been fighting for uh, through, through different wars. Most folk won't won't read it, unfortunately. They'd rather look at uh, fiction or science fiction or something and be gratified by all the incredible programming you get in it all today. It's astonishing, but it works in people. And people are now afraid to give their opinions on different different topics because you are being punished for, for having opinions which, which have been turned upside down in a, a very short period of time of new normals. I'll put up some articles at the end now to try to get it through. I mentioned before about how they're all families. You, you wonder why this is all news now. Uh, all the different couples and the royal, the royal families in Britain and so on. And it's because, you see, they have public relations companies. Each each couple has a public relations company of their own type uh, and that vies for ratings to make them popular. It's just all show business, people. It's show, it's show business. This is what it is. And Prince Harry and Meghan hire a social media expert to boost their popularity as they trail just 700,000 followers behind Wills and Kate. And they actually have games with each other and little bits to see who can get more, more hits that, that week, whatever, on, on the fake stories that they put out. And they actually make them uh, like dramas because people get sucked into them. And they know this. They've said that the women, the women who like soap operas get sucked right into these things and it personalizes the, these people that they'll never meet. It makes them seem real to them and like members of their family, you see. It's all science and it's all fake. Queensland government says it owns rainfall since it hits the ground on your property. So there, there it goes again. You, the sustainability organizations and... Uh, different laws are put across the world from the United Nations, naturally, um, about the facts that... And the United Nations gives you all your building laws and your codes for all kinds of things, electric and building and house and construction, everything now. Everything. Did you ever vote for the UN? No, you won't, because you see, it's not democratic. It's, it's meant to take over uh, governance of the world without you voting for it. Much like the EU top bureau that runs it all in, for the Europe... Uh, the people above the politicians. The politicians can't pass laws, by the way. It's the, it's the commissars above them who do all of that. The people that you don't vote for. So Queensland and other countries too have been told the same thing, really. You see, rain falls. It's not yours. It's not yours. And they give you all these different uh, articles trying to convince you that it's not yours. And why? You can't see it as yours, you know. Technically, you see, you're part of a big beehive or an anthill. That, that, that Galton Darwin talks about in that, those terms. You're like an anthill, and there's different kinds of superior and, and feeder types of ants. So that's what you're getting trained to believe for yourself. 
a US article too just showing you how the military is all getting geared for it too and when they get turned loose on a major crisis they have massive financial plan collapse if it collapses it will be planned folks because they, they could keep the money con going forever just by adding zeros uh, to, to computer numbers in, in federal, federal central banks so it's really a form of control you see but the Department of Defense are not supporting a formal mission dedicated to global change research. The climate change is developing policies and plans to manage and respond to the effects of climate change on Department of Defense missions, assets, and the operational environment. But it's also domestic as well, folks. Various research agencies within DOD sponsor and undertake basic research activities that concurrently uh, satisfy both national security requirements as well as the strategic goals of the USGCRP. And they give you all the different departments involved in it, and DARPA, etc., etc. Just to get you all used to the idea that they must get a big crisis going to bring out the global governance uh, into its full position across the whole planet. And only under a crisis situation will you accept it, you see. You'll be terrified. They'll make you terrified, and you'll plead for them to save you. <laughs> Well, here, here's what you give up uh, in the process, and they'll give you a whole list of things. For, for your own safety, you understand. Again, article fluoride in uh, drinking water is safe. A new study reignites the long-standing debates published by uh, Journal for American Medical Association Pediatrics, given new life to a long-running debate whether adding fluoride to drinking water is a prudent way to prevent tooth decay or potential toxic mistake. Now, it's a drug, folks. And it isn't the only one they're putting in your drinking water. Remember the articles from a few years ago, they want to put in uh, lithium, which they give to bipolars, to steady it. It makes it more placid for a mood, you see. It makes it more happy. It makes it all... I was looking for a happy drug for you. Make you happy. And compliant, naturally. Uh, it's actually more important. But you can't be compliant unless you're happy. So make you happy first. Even when you shouldn't be like, uh, like to you, Aldous Huxley mentioned. So I'll put these articles up. Most people, again, don't want to know these things. They've been taught to be uh, egocentric and, and egocentonic to an extent, not to like that which is pleasing, but to turn away from anything which makes them upset. Oh, I don't want to hear about that. It's not nice. Well, neither is a, a train coming up behind you, or a vehicle for that matter. You should always know about it. That's common sense. Animals all have those instincts. They don't deny them or they'd all be dead. As they eat each other, etc. And Britain faces a Big Brother surveillance society worse than George Orwell's 1984. Lip-reading cameras. So they're, now they're reading your lips. And they've been doing it for quite a few years, actually. That will force people to talk with hands over mouths. Our latest attacks on privacy government watchdog warns. The UK has more CCTV cameras per person than any other country on earth. Don't forget, that's the, you know, they keep saying that's the home of democracy. <laughs> uh, so it says the Metropolitan Police Service is trialing facial recognition cameras in London and software already exists which can identify people caught on camera by their gait, by their walking, you know, and make out their words using lip reading technology. It says people could be left cupping their hands over their mouths to try to keep conversations private. He warned that the, the, the tight legal framework, which limits the government's use of covert surveillance, doesn't apply to new technologies, yeah, sure, which can be deployed in public spaces and call for better regulation. Actually, they have this stuff in China, too. It's, it's a simple, it's a, it's a rollout. Remember, China is the model state for the whole world to copy. Uh, they praised China, uh, according to the United Nations, you know, and all their agencies. Uh, this is nothing new. It's not conspiracy theory. It's fact. Uh, all countries have admitted that uh, at the United Nations, when they've gone there and, and, and for their talks, that China is a model state for the world to copy, to follow. So I'm not surprised by the fact. But, I mean, China admitted uh, they've got all these facial recognition glasses even, which the police can wear in railway stations in different places. They put little documentaries about it. Up comes your name as they watch you passing by, even in the distance, they can recognize you. And your name pops up and your social insurance number and everything else. That's it. That's you. And that's, that's your new, new freedom, by the way. That's what uh, George Bush Jr. mentioned. The new freedom. They're going to give you the new freedom. 
And of course they didn't give any of the public a rundown on what they meant by the new freedom while you're living in it, folks. And it's less freedom. It's a political correct freedom where you're left alone. If you parrot all the stuff, you're told to parrot and you're good, good, good. And you don't upset the apple cart by having self-thought and self-thinking opinions and decisions and so on. Uh, all those bad things, own think, you know. We're here, we really are here, and it's going to get a lot worse as, as they ramp it through. Every step backwards that you take leads to a dozen more, and they get faster and faster. That's the nature of, of the, what the bully uses in his power system. The bully always uses the same techniques on you. One step back, it leads to a dozen more at a time, more and more, more boom, until you're running backwards to comply. To be independent people, you, you've got to stand up individually as an independent person, not, not as some kind of ant in a hill, an ant hill like uh, Galton Darwin talked about, Charles Galton Darwin. And remember too, uh, if you cover your face, you, you eventually your police come up to you because you're not supposed to hide your face according to the, the, the different anti-terrorist laws and so on. So cupping your hand might, might seem, oh, you're, what, are you, what are you saying? We, want, we have the right to know everything that you're saying in public, you see. Do you understand where it all, it all is already? George Orwell had his character, Winston, going around a little part in his, in his, his tiny little apartment to try to hide from the cameras to write his, his, his diary. We're here. And folk are not afraid of it. Mm-hmm. Okay. We got with a, a whimper, not with a bang. Remember that one? I'll put up now what else. You find that uh, the Bank of England, Mark Carney, who was previously the, the Bank of Canada, they, they, they move them around the planet now, eh? It's the head of it. The, 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 the Bank of England's head... Uh, RG is replacing the dollar with a Libra like reserve currency. Uh, so it's all coming along nicely because all the, see, all the Federal Reserves of all countries, all the central banking systems are all linked together into one club. They're really one ownership in a sense, to be honest with you. If you really delve into it and do enough digging, you'll find that. And uh, you must get a unified system across the planet to control the public. As I say, money is just a control system. And they can create very good front men tomorrow to lead you, to have you all follow them, say that they're geniuses, and apparently appear to be uh, the owner of massive corporations with billions behind them. They can meet them instantly today. It's quite easy to do, and they have done it quite a lot recently. But that's how it's done. For those who haven't caught on to it, you find that... Uh, the trouble with Hong Kong, of course, they've got uh, Australia's expecting a rush of Hong Kong millionaires to flood into Australia now, try and get out of uh, the, the situations as China reasserts its authority over Hong Kong. I'm always interested when you see more and more exercises, domestic exercises for unrest at home. And they really started this again in the late 90s. Because they knew that the war was going to uh, step up and across the Middle East with 9-11 before 9-11 happened, folks. They even passed laws in Canada. It was an omnibus crime bill, which was really an anti-terrorist bill, before it did, but 9-11 happened, a couple of years before it. Everybody at the top knew what the big agenda was going to be, regardless of uh, with having wars and who against whom, etc. They started having exercises at home as well. Rather blatant ones, claiming it was for wars overseas. They were using mock attacks on some cities and so on. Anyway, uh, there's an article here in North Carolina. Special warfare exercises kept under the radar in North Carolina, known as Robin Sage Training. The unconventional warfare exercises are like live-action role-playing in the extreme, with hostile engagement between special forces, students, volunteers, civilians, and soldiers out of Fort Bragg. It begins August the 30th. So they include gunfire with blanks staged across 21 North Carolina uh, counties, it says, and the army is telling the public not to be alarmed at suspicious-looking activity. They even have, uh, I know for, from previous exercises, they even have fake um, terrorists dressed as civilians going up amongst the public trying to stir up. It's quite something else, you know, to get as realistic as possible. 
and it says heavily populated counties like Wake, Cumberland, and Union counties are among training sites, according to U.S. Army John F. Kennedy Special Warfare Center, Fort Bragg. The students will match wits with more seasoned soldiers who will act as realistic opposing force and guerrilla freedom fighters, officials said in her release. Every country does these now, these special things. In fact, some of our, 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 our in the Europe, you find that they've used uh, different European troops across places like Scotland in some places in the past years. So uh, they'll use them when the time is right, you see. And unfortunately, that I've rushed through a, a, whole, a few things I had a whole bunch of things I wanted to talk about. I never get around to things I want to talk about, and it's kind of sad, but you must sometimes let, you, let your, 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 your brain have its way or let the spirit have, have its way as to where it's going to take you. But uh, I, I tell people, for all the bad news, don't go into it if you can't handle bad news. Don't get angry. Don't get angry by people who are set out there to be leaders for you, whose, whose sole job is to make you angry. Or make you interact or do, do silly things and so on. This is the world in which we live. And the world is not... Uh, it, it, you definitely have evil in the world or as a, a force. There's no doubt about it. I have no problem recognizing that. And you have to accept that there, there are evil people. who are often very respectable people in a system which praises money, wealth and power. But you don't have to be part of them. But you can always be aware of things too. And hopefully, that means that's all you've had done through generations is information passed on by a few for another bunch of the few to come for each generation to keep it alive. Otherwise, you've been conquered long ago, folks. I mean, completely. The agenda would have been accomplished completely long ago. But right now, it's, it's completing a phase of it very quickly. And you have to be on hyper alert, I would say. Because there's definitely a crash being planned about uh, taking us down to the next step. So anyway, for those out there who have been following me for years, remember you can buy the books and discs at cuttingthroughthematrix.com. Make sure you list the the sites that I have on the cuttingthroughthematrix.com site in case anything happens to any one of them. And hopefully you, you can continue to, to get my talks. And remember too, you can also donate to me. And you can see how to do it at cuttingthroughthematrix.com different methods from myself Alan Watchman to your candidates good night may your god or your gods go with you